Welcome to the Great Iron Stud Show. Chad Wilson and Emil Calamino here with you. It's July. By the time you're hearing this 14th, you know, we do tape record the show. Is that even a thing? Like, do we use tape record anymore? I don't yeah, even... I know. I, I use words like that all the Not time. Not live streamed. All right? And your brother laughs at me. Like when I say stuff like, like, yeah. like smartphone. It's not, not a smartphone, you, yeah, you old no. fart. <laughs> Not live streamed. Um, but you know what? We're going to probably move to that sometime really, really soon. Maybe set something up where we could take calls. That would be quite uh, awesome. Anyway, it's July, folks, where football is right around the corner. You can smell the pigskin in the air. And we are here definitely to talk about football issues and anything else that may come up outside of the world of the gridiron. So we're here to do that with you here um, for the next almost an hour, maybe an hour. I always say that we end up doing an hour. We just love talking to you guys. Anyway, um, before we jump into today's topics, this is your first time here. You haven't had a chance to do this yet already. Go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that's ankle, ankle, ankle. ankle. Are you anyone listening on the ankle app? What did somebody hurt their ankle today when you were training or something? Is no, that the anchor app. All right. Whether you're on anchor, Apple podcast, or you are listening to Spotify, whatever your weapon of choice is when you are streaming podcast, whatever you're listening to us on right now, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next great show that we put out. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find Emil on Facebook, willing to talk to you about any and everything going on in the world today. That is E-M-I-L-C-A-L-O-M-I-N-O. Do you have a public profile on Facebook? I never asked that. Or does someone have to, you know, make a friend request? They have to friend request me. All right. That's I'll accept it. Will you? He'll yeah, because if I don't like them or they start saying crazy stuff, I'll just throw them off. Oh, there you go. There yeah, you I'm, go. Not, I'm not I'm not looking for a lot of friends. Well, uh, <laughs> go over there anyway, folks. We'll talk to you. Don't be a jerk off when you get there. Yeah. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter, uh, TikTok, Instagram, at Gridiron Studs. Check me out. And there. he has a lot of friends. I mean, I saw his page. I, I, oh. I do. Tom, you know, term used loosely, by the way. Uh, they will <laughs> they they will turn on you at a moment's notice. Nevertheless, I'm always good for a good conversation, banter back and forth so long as you pretend or um, exemplify or show that you have a brain. We can go ahead and have a conversation. Feel free to do that and hit us up over there. All right, let's jump into this thing. We have an American locked up abroad, Emil. Yeah, let's talk. I about. mean, I find this whole, I mean, it's not a football story, folks, but since we're a sports show and we, we cover everything, and this is a, a, to me, it covers everything. It's got sports involved. It's got international intrigue it's got social issues it's got everything so you've, you have wnba star Brittany griner am i saying that right yes okay so she goes and she's playing in the russian federation women's basketball league where she makes roughly i think two hundred twenty thousand for the season and this this happened four or five months ago i guess she's coming back uh and she's in possession of marijuana weed mm-hmm. which in russia is not legal. Mm-hmm. And she gets detained by the Russian authorities, thrown in jail. She's still there, uh, what, going on five months at this point. She's pled guilty to it. Uh, I did read her. She apologized to the court in Russia. She said there was no intent. Uh, and we sit here today with no intent. Like, what's that mean? Uh, well, I didn't intend to break the law. Basically, I guess she's throwing herself uh, what I read it, the way I read it was I'm throwing myself at the mercy of the court. It was she's pleading ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, you know, I, I 
I don't know your laws. Okay? And we know that's no excuse. No, no. And listen, this takes me in several directions. So I'm going to lead us through this. You know, you can tell me where we agree, disagree. I want to hear your thoughts. We haven't talked about this off air either. So it'll be the first time I hear your thoughts on it. Number one, my initial thought on her getting arrested. Um, when you go and you were just in, you know, just we talked about on last week's show, you traveled to foreign to a couple of countries, uh, Great right. Britain and France. Mm-hmm. When you leave and you leave this country here and you go to another country, to me, my personal view is it's incumbent on you to know the, the major rules and laws in those countries that can get you in a lot of trouble. I've watched Locked Up Abroad and I don't want to be locked up abroad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel number one, she should have known whether she smokes weed here or not, where it's legal, that it's not legal there. Agree or disagree? Um, yeah, I think we, I, I think we've gotten to this point in this country where it's, it's so accepted, um, and legalized in some States that it, uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's become an afterthought for some people. And so it's, uh, it's like a cigarette for them. And maybe they just don't think that this is one of the things they need to check on the flip side. You know, I did just take that trip over to Europe and London and Paris, and there were a number of things that we did try to um, know beforehand, um, you know, one of them being the currency exchange rate and where we could change out our dollars. And so sure. um, there are things you're going to want to know about the country that you're going to. One of them may be um, is something that could possibly be illegal in the country that I am in, which that is the truth. It's not, you know, nationwide legal smoking weed, perhaps in a foreign land and a place like Russia of all places, not the friendliest of places. Could this be a problem if I have, you know, um, this substance or I do this act over there? Could this be a problem? Cause you certainly don't want to be locked up abroad. And I would think on a top five list of places not to be locked up abroad, Russia would be there. So, yeah. And I want to make something clear as we go through this, just so I get my cards on the table. I don't want the young lady. I, I mean, I don't think she should get life in prison here or anything like that. So as I say things, I want to I want to give some pretext. I think she's facing 10 years, which I don't think she should get. No, I want to give it some context, though, because I'm going to say some things that I don't want people thinking. I, I think she should get life or 10 years. Not at all. But I do think she's playing a victim card here. That's not legitimate. Mm. Um, you know, you went over there. You understand you're in a foreign country. You've got to abide by their rules. And like you said, it's not like it's so accepted here that it's legal everywhere. I mean, it's still you should have enough common sense to understand it's still illegal in places here. So heck, you're like you said, you're going to Russia. I mean, give you an example. Chad likes to make jokes. I occasionally like a, a, a glass of bourbon. Mm. If I was going to a Muslim country like Egypt or Saudi Arabia for whatever, I want to go see the culture. I'm not pulling out a bottle of bourbon there. Uh, very conscientious of you because you know it is legal everywhere here um if you're of age so I right mean, but i know over there that they they frown upon alcohol use it's illegal in saudi arabia so my point is i'm not going to do it and say well i drink bourbon everywhere in the united states they're going to say well you're not in the united states yeah um, um for sure i mean look we even check the kind of plugs you need to use uh so that you can charge your phone up Right. Well, well, that's right. Because they different, you know, in my, in my business, uh, hand irons are used for the products and, and they have different, you know, they have different outlets and everything. So, yes. So, yes, you checked all that stuff. So, sure. Kudos to you for being smart and, you know, prepared. And that and this young lady should have been prepared. The second thing that came out of this to me, and it's an interesting side conversation, 
you know, I, I see a bunch of people talking about the money she makes. Mm-hmm. And maybe if, if they got paid equally, like NBA players, um, you know, she wouldn't have to play in Russia. And, you know, and, and believe it or not, you know, I, I'm going to give you a name. OK, former uh, Clinton cabinet member, Robert Reich from Scranton, Pennsylvania. OK, fully, so aware, another, fully aware of who he is. Yes. Uh, uh, so an Ivy, him on TikTok, by the yes, way. Yes. An Ivy League guy. OK. And uh, he, he he's out there saying this. And I mean, I, I obviously know he's not stupid so Mm. that's what makes him disingenuous to me in this conversation he understands economics very well the reason wnba players are never going to be paid what nba players are paid is because of the revenue let's start with why the nba players are paid what they're paid well the league brings in 10 billion dollars that'll end it that'll end it right you know if if that's what you're on then you know um school teachers are woefully underpaid, male or female. So it really just boils down into the amount of revenue brought. And I think most people should understand that. It's basic economics. So but people don't understand. I'll tell you a funny story. And I, I think I've told this years ago on the show. Um, probably this is going on 25 years. Now. I was young. I was at a Christmas party. My wife uh, is in the medical business administratively. She, at the time, was running a cardiac surgery practice. Mm-hmm. Fairly large one. You know me. Uh, not scared to give my opinion. So I'm standing there talking to a cardiac surgeon and he makes the comment to me that how could athletes, uh, he knew I like sports, be paid what they're paid, you know, you know, based on what I'm paid, you know, and not that he wasn't paid well, but, and, and I looked and I smiled in a nice way, sipping my drink. I said, well, when you can get 50,000 people to pay a hundred bucks or more per, per seat to watch your cardiac surgery, you can get paid that too. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's callous because obviously I understand that throwing a baseball isn't as important as, as being a cardiac surgeon. If there's a big if here, you need or someone in your family or close friends needs cardiac surgery. But if right. they don't, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I mean, again, this sounds callous. Clayton Kershaw's next start, fortunately for me right now at this moment in time, means more than the cardiac surgeons at our local hospital. Now, maybe someday that won't be the case. But what I'm trying to get at is it's basic economics. Supply and demand. That's really just what it boils down to. So, you know, there. Uh, let's say there's an NBA player that you may not think is too great. It's making $46 million a year. I think, do you want a run-of-the-mill WNBA player to make $46 million a year? My question is, where would that money come from? We're, you know, we're devolving into a, a different conversation here, but no, we um, are. But this is to me, this all, and, and I'm, we, we got more to unpack here. This I, is, but you know, Amal, along those lines, I did hear someone say it may have been um, Brittany Griner's either partner or attorney saying if she was LeBron, she'd be home. I hate when people do that. My answer to that is a, I don't think LeBron would be in this jackpot. I don't think he'd be in this situation. And B is you're not LeBron, so maybe you don't. You're care not. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody. We're all, yeah, this whole notion. We all listen. Anybody? If I was six four, I'd probably be able to. <laughs> yeah, right. Leave from the free throw line and dunk, but I'm not, so I'm not going to lament over that. And I think, yeah, you know, we, we have a tendency in this world anymore to, to to pretend not live in reality. Listen, while everybody in a perfect world should be treated equally, we're not. Okay, LeBron James is getting a table at dinner before I am 100% in a fancy restaurant. That's and he'll just get it. it over. He'll get it over a cardiac 
uh, cardiologist. Exactly. He will. Right. And so that's just reality. So you can you can say that you can stomp your feet and say that's not fair. Maybe you want that table go into the NBA. Yeah, I don't know. It just but that's the way life works. I'm more of a pragmatist. That's the way it is. I'll I'll play within the rules of society. That's how life works. Okay, now let's get to LeBron. (laughs) Mm. You know, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but when you have a big platform, you know, and and I'll use an example, our past president. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a big megaphone, big platform, not only being president, but he had a lot of people following him. You have a certain obligation that perhaps you or I wouldn't have per se. Because mm-hmm. if we say something really stupid on our best day, you, you could say it on your uh, on your uh, your your Instagram page or whatever, and 10,000 people might see it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say? Sure. Uh, if if a former president says it, well, in his case, 100 million people are going to see it. Right. I feel the same way about LeBron. OK, I think sometimes he talks before engaging his brain mm-hmm. and then and then he lets his brain catch up. Um. You know, he said he went on something about, you know, she, you know, maybe she wouldn't want to come back to this country or I don't I don't know what he was getting at. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't I don't see it as constructive criticism for the country because I'm not sure what the LeBron James has been afforded riches by living in, a, in this economy where we can pay professional athletes and entertainers the kind of money we do mm-hmm. that I'm not sure he could have made any place else. OK. Perhaps this is where we may we may differ. I'm just we, we I may just part. Yeah, we can part. One That's thing good. I don't like is that argument being made by 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 people, and I've seen it done a number of times. That you're just going to equate someone's um, level of income with happiness. Um, one thing a former cowboy Deion Sanders has said on many occasions is, "I've I've had you know, um, it's not that he's had because he has, yeah, but he's had a ton of money and he was unhappy." So we cannot equate someone's income with happiness. Um, you know, there's a chance LeBron could be in London making half or a third of what he's making right now and be um, feel a whole lot better being, about being able to send his kids to school and get them back at 3 p.m. and not have to worry about them getting blown away by, by a shooter. Or, but yet um, he won't go, will he? And his older son, well, <laughs> be a, I'm going to explain to you a reason why. Um, or maybe his older son getting pulled over by a police officer in London and not being able to survive a simple routine traffic stop. That is a reality for um, LeBron James and people that look like LeBron James or come from the type of culture LeBron James comes from in this country. Now you say he won't go. Well, he was born and raised here. So it is something rather difficult to just pick up and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off and I'm going to go live in Jamaica. I'm going to go I'm going to go live in London. There have been people who have done that. And he may yet do that after he has retired. But he was born here. He was raised here. And it becomes a difficult thing. And then sometimes you criticize um, where you are in an effort. Maybe it's not the best thing to do, but in an effort to try and get things to change. Well, right, to improve it, but make it constructive. Here's the thing that bugs me, right? The NBA is probably of all the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Between when I say the four, the four major U.S. sports, because soccer, well, it's, it's big huge internationally it's just starting to really we're doing better here with that big on a youth level it's why i find it hard to find a field to practice on sometimes right 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 i I digress but i think the nba you know they've been in bed with china for years Mm -hmm. okay we the gm uh, was it morley from the rockets who got fired yes when he made the comments that we're 
hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're making these Nike shoes that we like wearing and they like selling and we, mm-hmm. they all make money mm-hmm. off a country that literally has slave labor. Mm-hmm. And we don't say a word about it because mm-hmm. we're all lying in our pockets. And I like my Nikes nice and affordable. And, you know, <laughs> if they were made sure. here, they wouldn't be. Sure. So, you know, I'm not excluding myself because mm-hmm. I'm not running around, you know, talking about the, the rights of Chinese children either but mm-hmm. at the same time you know if we're, we're we're quick to levy to to toss out all these things about the united states yet here we are with china doing business with china uh no problem uh nobody wants to say anything nobody wants to rock the boat because everybody wants to get paid i get it i'm in business like everybody else um you know and i just I find it like i don't think it was constructive what he said you know what i mean i i wasn't sure where he was taking it like in other right. words um I wanted to get the quote um, and, you know, the, especially sure. the part like um, that might have people up in arms. One is um, how could Brittany Griner feel like America has her back? And then there is I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? Um, in my eyes, Emil, there's a, there's some legitimacy to, to that feeling there. Um, I well, was why should they to... have her back? I mean, she committed a crime. No question. I was quick to say, okay, um, yo, she's not LeBron James. So I don't yeah. know where her partner gets off saying that. However, she is Brittany Griner. She is um, a bit of a celebrity in this country. Uh, and you, sh- you would feel like something would be done there. She shouldn't be facing 10 years. You know, she did, she did break a law. Um, but well, I, you know what, Chad? It, I have to did, tell you. I know. Did she be go- standing trial doing ten years there? No. I don't know. No. She should be at the mercy of of Russia. No. Do I think she's being held and charged and and for lack of a better term, treated this way because maybe we have some prisoners here that they would like released? Yeah. Because this yeah. Is, this has become a political football, as most things do. Yes. Become. And I and I. But I think I think to say that, in other words, like again. You got to accept responsibility first and say, well, she shouldn't have did that. I mean, it's hard. She's put her country in a tough spot now. If I think saying, that's what her guilty plea was. Right. But I'm saying if you're saying America, not you, if, if, if somebody's claiming, you know, America doesn't have her back, she's put her country in a tough spot because now what they're going to want to do is trade a person who shoots basketballs mm-hmm. for a terrorist, most likely a Chechnyan or something like that that we have mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to. You know, we're going to get back a person who shoots 80 percent free throws and they're going to get back a Chechenian terrorist. Um, uh, Yeah. So uh, what I'm trying to say is, you know, people need context with these things. And all I'm trying to say is when you have a big platform, it's best to try to inform yourself as as much as you can before speaking. That's my only words that I would impart if somebody asked me if if that was my son. Sure. Um, If if. If we want to be more diabolical about things, maybe you make a statement like that to, in this day and age, you know what it is, to get some attention. But does he, he doesn't need attention. I mean, he gets- No, but, no, but her situation does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her situation does. Maybe he understands the power of his voice and maybe just making a, you know, a standard general um, statement about it goes, passes under the water. If I do make a statement like this, though, 
Um, Amal and Chad are talking about it, and so is everyone else. And on top of that, I get a few more eyeballs onto my shop podcast. <laughs> and so you maybe, Amal, you take a page out of LeBron's book and you say something really controversial that would get you in a lot of trouble on this show right now. Right. There's something right. you want to get off your chest that might be really crazy that you can yeah. get well, anyway, for. Go ahead. You know, anyway, I wanted to cover this. I think I think it was a good conversation. And, you know, I see your points. You know, I hope you see some of mine. And no, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think you put yourself at the mercy of the of the Russians, the Redcoats. But um, right. None of us are fans of Russians. I, I always say I'd like to get back to the good old days when we were children. And the one thing we could all agree on is we didn't like the USSR. And when the Olympics came, we would sit there and root against them. Oh, I thought you were going to say the one thing we could agree on is there's no damn way Rocky knocked out damn drago we know no no in real life there's no way that's no freaking way all right (laughs) five six versus like six six i don't understand but not happening let's get it back to football i I have a couple other things i want to hit you with uh right now your favorite coach my favorite my my favorite coach yeah we both love him who we can i I got respect i got a lot of respect for most definitely yeah nick saban's been up on the mountain again Mm. By the way, uh, today, you know, in case anybody tuned in uh, for, for our typical, uh, we're doing a list. So stay hanging there. The list is going to be, and I think this is a fun one. We're going to do a list of the 10 greatest NFL quarterbacks who never won a Super Bowl. Modern year, of course, Super Bowl year quarterback. So, yeah, and you words, know, with we, some of these lists, uh, I think when people hear the topic initially, they're like, okay, come on, that's easy. I think they're thinking about the top two, three, or four, maybe. Uh, but when you've got to make a list of 10 and you start really digging into things and you start doing some research, yeah, it becomes difficult. And you guys are going to see. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a good list. And we can't have slinging Sammy Baugh on it because he was never in going to play in a Super Bowl because he wasn't in the quarterback, the Super Bowl era. So it's going to be a more modern yeah, list. Um, neither was Johnny Unitas, folks. So relax. Right, right, right. OK, so back uh, back to what I was saying is you know, Nick's up there again. He's uh, talking about, hey, listen, you know, this we need some guardrails, guys. Hello. Mm. Hello. We need some guardrails because he's seeing college football. Uh, he's seeing where it's going. And he said the other day, he made an interesting comment. He said, this is going to be the haves and the have nots. And just so we're clear, we're the haves. So I'm not saying this to help myself. I'm trying to he's basically saying I'm trying to tell you guys this is not going to be good. And to that point, I saw a story just the other day. Texas Tech University, and, and you know, I knew there was big money in Texas, and I know they love football, but I really didn't realize Texas Tech had this kind of coin. They're it's putting Texas. Yeah, I know. You're, I know. I should have realized. That's right. They're the high schools seat sixty thousand. Well, they had that one high school that has a sixty million dollar football stadium, right? Yeah, Allen, Allen, Allen High yeah. School. Yes. So Texas I mean, Tech th- is putting two hundred million. That's it. That's it. Into their facilities. What did you think? It was going to be a billion? (laughs) No, I mean, you better increase your bench press when you come out of there, for God's sake. (laughs) But I mean, where are we? I guess where I want to ask you is where are we in this? Because, you know, here's what it feels like to me. Okay. And you know, I've been saying this with you or to you and kind of with you for the last four or five And at our audience. At our audience. And I've been saying this sounds like a broken record. Here's what I feel like. And I, I said last week, I'm going to try to accept it for what it is. I always love watching college football games, but I think at the same time, two things can be true here at once. Let's acknowledge we are no longer watching amateur athletes. Uh, 
Yes, I, I think the common fan would probably throw a zinger at you and say, oh, why now? Because the players are getting paid. I mean, there's been tons of money in there and they've been profiting off of the back of these amateur athletes for so long. And now they're finally getting a piece of the pie. And this is what we're saying. That's he uh, sounded like the, the opening to the Jeffersons for our older audience. Members. Yeah, finally moving on up. But uh, no, I mean, I just feel like at this point, let's acknowledge, you know, it's almost uh, what, I, what I equated to is triple A baseball. I mean, that's where we're at. It's, it's a feeder league for the NFL at the major college level, not at Division two or even the FCS level. But when you get to major power five football, to me, it's it's a feeder system for the NFL. And guys are saying as much. I mean, you know, I mean, is it not? It always has been. I mean, that's where they get the players from. So it, it has been, of course. It's not like we're grabbing guys. But from I feel Serbia. like I feel like we're funneling it now. You know, before it was a little bit spread out. You might have a guy come from Northwestern, but, you know, most of the team wasn't going there with aspirations necessarily of being in the NFL. Mm. Uh, I kind of feel like we're funneling everything into the, where guys are just totally making decisions that way from. You know, Jordan Addison, Addison uh, you know, transferring for what will be his final year to my team, USC. I just I don't know. To me, it's starting to feel like if, if we don't somehow get a handle on this before it gets crazy, I'm, I'm not sure in five years if we'll, if we'll even recognize what we're watching. I mean, we if if you went into a coma five years ago and you woke up today, you don't realize it. you don't recognize. Right. It happened fast is what I'm trying to say. And I think that's what Nick's trying to say. Listen, guys, if somebody doesn't throw up a a stop sign here and start, you know, tapping the brakes, we're going to get going down the hill and that truck's going to be looking for one of, you know, those, those things you have. I don't know if they have them down there, but Northeast where the truck goes up the hill when it loses its brakes, we're going to be looking for one of those. We have, we don't have hills down here. Yeah, we do. And they have things when you go down a big hill, they put a hill there so the tractor trailer can go up it if it doesn't have air brakes. Yeah, yeah, friend. I haven't pulled a handbrake since 1992. (laughs) So, um, but listen, I love Nick Saban. Yeah. Um, And I do like when he throws these warnings out because we all, we both know Nick Saban's not going to coach forever. You know, he's he's not going to be here 10 years from now coaching ball. I don't think so. um, Unless he gets a hold of the TB12 method. But he might be. Jopa was there. I mean, you never know, man. You never know. But I will say this, and and tell me if you agree with me on this. Part of the reason that college football is where it is right now has, has a lot to do with Nick Saban more than any other one person. You following me on that? You mean, you mean where the state of it or how popular? The state of it. Yeah, well, both. The yeah. popularity of it and the state of it has more to do with Nick Saban than any other single person. And the reason that I say that is he came um, to Alabama with the plan and he built a monster. And this monster um, caused the SEC to step their game up. And every other team in the SEC felt like they needed to do something. And so they chased the, the big monster out front. And the monster kept getting bigger and they kept chasing and more money kept coming. And then, you know, um, the popularity of Alabama and the players that they were sending to the NFL and all that has driven money into the sport. Um, and it's turned into this arms race because everyone wanted to catch Alabama. And now we are where we are. So- well, yeah, I, I feel like what happened too, it, it, and I don't know if it was intentional or just a changing of the guard at the NCAA, but every time a program got to that point prior, the NCAA stepped in and, and, and threw them on probation. Okay. And I think they realized that that's no longer good for business. 
I understand that. What I'm saying is, you know, Miami risked getting getting out in front in the 90s. Okay, we'll find a probation for them. USC in the 2000s. Okay, we'll find a probation for from them. Prior to that, in the 70s and 80s, Oklahoma, well, we'll throw them on probation. Then all of a sudden, along comes Alabama after the USC reign of terror ends, and and they didn't stop it. They they started when Nick got there, and 15 years later, by damn, they're still doing it. And I'm not saying I wanted them to. Why do you I, think they afforded Alabama this pass? Because of the money. You hit it. Yeah, it wasn't good for business. It, it wasn't good. They might have, you know, the light bulb went on with all these people. Like, hey, you know what? The, when we threw all those aforementioned schools on probation, it really wasn't good for business because, you know, they have huge fan bases and and people not liking them made other people tune in. And it's not good. We, we kind of can't do that. So they, I think they finally figured it out. Yeah. Um, and it just so happened to be when Alabama rose. If it was Oklahoma, then Oklahoma would have risen or whatever other team. That yeah, just Well, Alabama was the perfect storm. You know, he got there and, you know, then I think the, the light bulb went on. They looked at basketball. Okay. And for, and maybe it's just my imagination. I haven't studied this, but just, just looking at it, being a sports fan, it seems like in basketball, they never really treat the top programs harshly. I mean, Kentucky had that one when Joe B. Hall left in the late 80s when Patino got there for three or four years, but Patino got them back really quick. And that's easier to do in basketball because you only have 14 or 15 players on the roster. Football, when you start hammering people with scholarships, it's several recruiting cycles before they can, you know, get back to, to snuff. Yeah. And Melinda, this is what happens when the, 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 the body, the, the governing body also profits the most from the, from the sport. You know, how would that even work? You know, um, how are you going to police yourself when you are drawing revenues from the uh, actions of these teams? You know what I mean? Um, How are you going to ban an Alabama or, or a Duke in basketball when you profit so mightily off of their existence and their prominence? Well, and I think that's, you know, I think what's going to happen here is they got a, they got a fork in the road, right? So I think they've got a, a decision tree, as they say in business, right? They're either going to heed a guy like Saban and, and step in and say, we need to put some guardrails on this and quick, or they're going to say the hell with it. And they're going to treat it the way this country is treated online gambling and marijuana use and everything else and just say, damn, let's just let it go and see what happens. And, and if that happens, mm-hmm. you're going to see that what Nick says, you're going to have the haves and the have nots. You're going to see the, the, the 30 or 40 biggest schools essentially become what is a college professional league. Um, if that, if, if I can use that terminology and make any sense, it's going to be like almost like an NFL for college football with the 30 or 40 biggest schools, you know, cause the, I, I saw an interesting story. One of the ADs in the PAC 12, you know, all butthurt that USC and UCLA left reminded them of how what happened in Nebraska when they went to the Big Ten. Well, here's the problem with that. Lincoln, Nebraska isn't Los Angeles, California. Sure. And, and I don't know about UCLA, but they'll be fine in basketball. And in football, USC is going to get kids. They're always going to get kids. It's only a question of can, do they have the right coach? The same way Miami was always going to get kids if they had the right coach. So Yeah, so, I mean, going, going back to it, I appreciate. I love when he throws out these warnings. Um, because I, you know, fans start to, rival fans 
start going on and on about, oh, he's, uh, he doesn't want things to, you know, things because of these new rules, things are going to be even out. They're not going to be even. You know this. I know this. Everyone knows this. No. He's just going to exploit them. If you don't do something about it, he's going to exploit them. And he's telling you he's going to exploit it. And I think, you know, I, I thought maybe at the end of last year, Nick Saban was pretty close to retiring. Um, mm-hmm. I think all this stuff that's happened in the offseason has rejuvenated him. Oh, it's got his interest up. It's like, okay, well, if they want to do this, let me see what I can do in this system. Yeah, yeah. and I've got this dude over there in College Station talking crazy to me and trying to take a piss on my legacy here with his harsh words. Well, maybe I'll paddle him a few times on my way out the door and put him in his You know, and I have have some friends here giving a specific example with, you know, not only is it I'm in Penn State country, but believe it or not, we have a ton of pick graduates here, and I know I'm friends with them. And, you know, they're, they're giving me a hard time about Addison going to USC, knowing I'm a big USC fan. And I said, well, what did you guys think was going to happen when all this went down? Mm. I mean, some of them were for paying the players. Some of them weren't. And, but I said, what did you think was going to happen when all this started going down and kids can transfer whenever they want? They're I don't think they kids. thought that. I don't think they thought that. And most fans, as you know, are a little bit delusional about, the, about their schools. So I don't think they expected to get raided. You know, not, not little well, old. That's going to happen. I mean, truth you know, of the matter is some schools are just going to develop players for, for other schools. That's just what's going to happen. We see that down here in South Florida um, as some of the smaller private schools or even some of the public schools, especially in Broward County, will um, kids will go to these schools so that they can play early. They may have enough talent to play as a freshman at a school. And then the moment they blow up, let's say they have a really good freshman year or an exceptional sophomore year, they'll leave and go to the bigger schools. Sure. Um, and that's just I I feel like uh, is what's going to happen in college football unless they like we've talked about do something about putting some kind of deterrent in there for transferring. You just can't let kids go move around willy nilly. I understand Joe fan out there or Joe parent out there that wants to go and compare an 18, 19, 20 year old to a 45, 50, 55 year old coach who's able to move around freely. Why you want to compare the two when there's so much distance and experience in between the two of them, and one is a career and the other one's supposed to be uh, an education type deal, even though we've moved away from that, they're not the same. It's not the same. Um, And though you may get angry about a coach leaving, I know I've been upset about a few of those um, coaches leaving or moving on or getting fired. It's not the same for a 19-year-old as it is for a 50-year-old man making career choices. So. Um, we're going to see more and more of that. The other thing I think we're going to see a lot more of, Emil, is what Texas Tech has just done. When you see the way conferences are realigning and moving and shifting and things happening, if you're a school that is deemed to be, that looks like they're not taking their athletics seriously, you can fall out of a conference. You could end up on the wrong side of all this shifting, and you could find yourself left in a conference that could quickly turn into um, something that resembles a, you know, lower tier division one school. Yeah. Yeah. You can look like a WAC conference or a big West conference or any of those other now defunct conferences. You're going to look like that. You're going to get left behind. Don't think they're a cup. Not a, well, I think where we're at right now is what we did last show. I think we're, I think it's, it's going to end up with about three super conferences. So I think we're in a game of musical chairs now with some of these schools like Texas tech and they want to make sure 
that as this realignment happens and it, and it funnels down into three super conferences. That they're that included, they, yeah. Yeah, they're included. You think and, Oregon is not sitting around wondering like, man, why the hell did they not Big Ten pick us? Why didn't they include us, at least in the conversation, um, when they were trying to do this? Uh, well, Phil Knight, one of the, I sent you that article, one of the richest men in the world is left. He's making cold calls. <laughs> trying yeah, well, yeah, he's trying to pick up the broken pieces, but, you know, he's probably, of anyone else in that, that's left in that conference, got to be wondering, well, what is it? Is Like, does it rain too much out here, or why wouldn't you take us? We've been in the forefront um, of everyone's minds out of this conference as much as anyone, certainly more than UCLA, but you and I both know what it is. It's a major, you know, media market. But. Right. Well, okay, we, we we hit that one pretty good, and I got one more before we get to our list that I wanted to just bounce off you quickly. Uh, you know, Mike Farrell, uh, for those of you who don't follow college recruiting closely, you know, one of the longer tenured people in the in the college recruiting game. Would you say that's accurate? Sure. He's been around. He's a name. Been around. He's, he's a big name. He, you know, he, he he's been on the on the beat of college recruiting for a long time. He made the comment, uh, you know, recently, last few days that. If Arch Manning didn't have the same last name, he quote unquote, if his name was Arch Smith, Arch Smith, he would be a three star, not a five star. And to that, Chad, you say, um, listen, I've been in this recruiting thing for a while, so obviously I've seen Mike Farrell's career as mm-hmm. it relates to college football recruiting, and there was a point where he would, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to use honest. But um, I think he's moved into this. I've seen this over the last few years with him. He's moved into this thing where he wants attention. So in his mind, he may truly believe like Arch Manning is getting more attention than he probably deserves because of the last name that he that um, he has. And so maybe he's not the best quarterback in the class. So maybe he really is a four star or maybe he's the third or fourth best player. However, if I just get on Twitter or I write an article on Rivals where I say something like that, that's not going to get a whole lot of traction. And, you know, uh, what I am about these days is getting attention both to myself and to the publication for which I work. So if I come out and say he's a three-star, that's going to get more people jazzed up talking about it and get people digging into it. You know, right. so I, well, what I'm sensing, and let me let me rephrase what you said, so I'm understanding what you're saying. What you're saying to me is, there may be some truth in what he's saying, but the way he said it was very hyperbolic. In other words, yes, th- maybe this guy isn't the best quarterback in this class. Maybe he's a, like you said, a four star, not a five star. Maybe he's the third or fourth best. I've thought not- the same, Emil. I mean, I I have, and that's not to take anything away from the kid. There are some really good quarterbacks in this class. And I don't I don't know that he's the best of it. However, right now, Mike Farrell is 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 Barry Bonds after the Mark McGuire Sosa home run race. Okay, Um, these guys don't have my experience. They perhaps don't write as well and they're not as knowledgeable as me. But I see these guys getting a whole bunch of attention and likes and retweets for their articles, for their publication by saying the most damnedest things or giving the most outrageous um, headline. And you know what? Screw it. If that's what fans want, if that's what people on Twitter want, if that's what gets attention, damn it, man, I'm going to do it too. I've seen him rolling into that. I feel bad for him doing that. Um, I don't like that he's doing it. I may have thrown a comment or two at him a few times. Um, Full disclosure, he had a little bit too much fun with the shoe throw 
That's when yeah. I first noticed it. So I said, you know, I didn't even say anything about shoe throw. There was enough people coming at my head. I said, let me watch him for a while. And he seemed to be a little bit more TMZ-ish um, and wanting more attention with the headlines. And it was a little disappointing to me, but I understand where some of these outlets so are. So Mike's right become, Mike's, Mike's going for entertainment value, but there is some, Too much, credi- I think. there's some credibility to the statement he made, just not to the extent that he made it. Yes. And I would push back on this. I don't like when people do this right here either. What he's doing. Oh, because he's a Manning. Everyone's really, they're in a hurry to do that. They're in a hurry. Yeah. I bet there are people saying that who've never even really watched the kid play. Here's the truth of the matter. If his last name was Smith, his last name would be Smith and he wouldn't have an uncle. He wouldn't have two uncles that played in the NFL there to provide some tutelage for the kid. Right. His last name is Manning. So whatever he is now, he's going to continue to get better because he's got one of the he's got two of the best right. who have ever played it. Not to mention granddad, who knows something, too. He just has so many resources that it only stands to reason that this kid is going to have a tremendous opportunity to be to reach his full potential. And physically, he has the tools. He's not really much of a, a mobile guy. He is if you compare him to a Drew Bledsoe, but um, maybe not compared to the other guys that are playing right now, but he's going to have the goods. He's going to know how to read a defense. He's going to know how to uh, be accurate with his throws. He's going to know how to avoid a He's going to know how to do all the things that his uncles know how to do and probably be able to do it better. So if I'm forecasting potential, he's a five-star. Sorry. Yeah, I got you. Maybe not right now, but forecasting, which is what all this recruiting stuff is about, is forecasting. He's a five-star. I got you. Okay, well, we hit some interesting topics today. And, you know, people who stuck around, which I hope you all stuck around, because that stuff. Well, you're not talking to anyone who didn't stick around, by the way. Well, that's true. (laughs) That's true. You're right. Good. Great. You got me. I'm on it today, man. That's very logical. That is very sharp as a tack, okay? You are sharp. Uh, Let's get to the list, okay? So here's how I suggest we do this. The list that we're doing today, the 10 greatest NFL quarterbacks, who never won a Super Bowl. Obviously, they had to have played in the Super Bowl era. Oh, I didn't get that fact. Not how this was presented to me, my friend. Well, what do you get? You got Sammy Baugh on your list? No, I have a couple of guys that played in the Super Bowl era but did not play in a Super Bowl. Right. That's what I'm saying. But they they had to have had the ability to play in a Super Bowl. So Sorry, yes, I cut you off. I didn't get all the facts. So slinging Sammy Baugh isn't going to be on the list. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, sorry, Sammy. So here's how I suggest we do this. Let's snake it like they do in fantasy football drafts. I'm going to give my number 10. Then you're going to give your 10 and your nine. Then I'm going to give my nine and my eight. And we'll go up and we'll see. We have some alike. We didn't talk about this. It's a fun list. It's a summer. It's a summertime, folks. So let's have some fun with this. If you're home, make your own list up. It's it's not as hard as you think, but it is. There's some guys you're going to have to exclude at the end. So yes. with that, I'm going to give you my number 10. Mm. As for our younger audience, this guy played from 1961 through 1978. Oh, long, this is this. Okay. Yes. Long career. He started with the New York football giants. He ended up getting traded mid-career to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, took his team to three suit three. I think he was a quarterback for three. two of them. Three. three. Okay. Three, three of them. Joe, yeah. Joe Cap might've been the guy, the other 10, but. I got Fran Tarkington at number 10. Fran threw for, he was a scrambler too, folks. He would have done well in this era today. He liked to run around. He threw for 47,000 yards uh, and 342 touchdowns. So no, he didn't play in an era 
where, uh, you know, he just handed the ball 40 times to Chuck Foreman. He threw the ball too. And uh, he had some great receivers, Ahmad Rashad, Sammy White. And I, I think he belongs on this list because he was an excellent quarterback that never won a Super Bowl. Listeners, if you love getting cash back like I do, then you've got to get the Get Upside app right now. Get cash back on your everyday purchases without changing anything about how you shop or live. You'll pay however you normally do with a credit card or debit card, and cash back will be deposited directly to your GetUpside account. There's no limit on how much you can earn. GetUpside even works with other coupons, discounts, and loyalty programs. First, you claim your offer. Find local offers on everything from gasoline to restaurants and everything in between. Second, you spend. You shop as you would at your favorite spots around town. Third, check in or scan receipts. Check in to log your purchase, and you'll be on your way. Finally, get rewards. Earn cash back and cash out whenever you want via PayPal, e-gift card, or check. It's just that simple. I love coffee, and I get mine for free just by earning cash back from GetUpside. Download the app and get started getting your cash back today. Click on the link in the description of this episode to get started. Well, um, this is an ominous start. I've got Tarkenton at 10 as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've got Tarkenton at 10. Uh, I knew he was going to make the list. I just wasn't sure where. I didn't know how high to put him up. Um, You know, a good amount of our fan base uh, is not going to even know who he is. Because you know what, man? ESPN has gotten so stupid. We don't even get like the old NFL film stuff on there anymore. They'd much rather. Oh no, no. They want to talk about, let me not talk about social issues. Yeah. Let me not go on a tangent, (laughs) but yes, three Super Bowls. You make it to the Super Bowl three times. And by the way, that held weight with me, even though I've got guys on this list that didn't play in Super Bowls, making it to a Super Bowl held some weight with me. And man, this guy was, was Jim Kelly, from that standpoint, made it to three Super Bowls. He was really, really interesting to watch. Matter of fact, he was one of the clips of the Vikings when he played, and especially of him, were one of the most fun things for me to watch. And, you know, I mean, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe you won't see this the way I see it, but for his era, you know, he reminds me with his stature and kind of the way he ran around like a white Kyler Murray without the, obviously the, the athletic gifts of a Kyler Absolutely. Murray. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Because he, of the zany paths he would take. Yes. He and he center. wasn't big. Yes. He wasn't big. And he threw the ball downfield when he finally did escape the pocket. He just reminds me of a Kyler Murray. Yes. And this guy would wiggle around and turn left and right 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage and make a laser throw for a three yard gain. And it'd be the most interesting thing you'd ever seen. So yep. yes, 10 Fran Tarkenton, the guy with a single bar face mask that you guys will never know who we're talking about. Hit me number, number nine, nine, number nine for me. And there's a guy that's caught a little heat and more and more of it of late um, from former teammates, but Donovan McNabb. Um, Donovan McNabb was um, an accomplished player in this league. Um, forget about how you may have felt about him. Uh, the guy threw for 37,000 yards and he got the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl, which they were not able to win. They came up short. Um, against the New England Patriots, so is that a crime? But um, yeah, I've got Donovan McNabb there. Yeah, no, I mean, between his running and throwing, um, one of one of the greats to play this game, though he'll probably never be mentioned in that. Well, yeah, underappreciated in the city of Philadelphia for sure. Yeah, um, number nine uh, for me is a guy who's you know life tragically ended very young. Uh, Steve McNair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great great record. Ninety one and sixty two as a starter. Threw for over 30,000 yards, 
got his team within a yard of tying a Super Bowl game and sending it to overtime against the Rams. Mm. And just, you know, a really, really good player and probably another guy, uh, again, life cut short, murdered. Uh, and then, you know, you, you just kind of forget about him. I guess some fans will, uh, you know, guys our age won't, I hope. But he was just a really, I mean, I don't know what you thought about McNair's career, but I thought I thought he was really a, an excellent quarterback. Yes, and, and and what am I going with now? Am I going with eight and seven? No, I'm, I'm going to eight, and then you're okay. going to go eight. Uh, my number eight is uh, Tony Romo, a guy who catches a lot of heat from fans. But when you look at Romo's career, his record, 78 and 49 as a starter, threw for almost 35,000 yards in 10 years, didn't get to start till he was like 26 or 27, career caught a little bit short because of his back. And probably unjustly blamed for Cowboys sick game 16 failures in, in a certain uh, three years in a row when he was on eight and seven teams that I'll be honest with you as a Cowboys fan had no business even being in position to make the playoffs in those years. I am going to be very interested to see who you left off this list. No, you, you to include I... Tony Romo. Okay, well, that's which you know, he got mild consideration for me, emphasis on mild, but I couldn't put him in there. So, um, yeah, I mean, 78 and 49 is pretty good as a starting quarterback, not for the Dallas Cowboys and America's team. And the well, if 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 he was anything, he wouldn't be on this list if he was Roger Staubach or Troy Aikman. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Your number, your number eight, number eight for me is uh, Drew Bledsoe. Mm, That's a night that that's a great pick. Yeah, um, threw for a mile, 44,611 yards in his you know 14-year NFL career. And he's another guy that made it to a Super Bowl. Folks may forget that. He made it to the Super Bowl that Brett Favre won. Uh, so Brett Favre got that, got got a, well, that was one of, Favre won one Super Bowl. Am I correct? Favre won, yeah. Favre won the one that they beat, they beat Bledsoe. And then the next year, they lost the one to Elway. Yes, that's right. Another guy who, you know, almost made this list if it wasn't yeah. for an old college teammate of mine i want to say yes anyway, yeah um, Bledsoe. Yes. you know you know that was a good pick on with bledsoe on your part because i'll tell you you know it stuck with me with bledsoe i forgot the first part of his career because i remembered his last few years in dallas when romo beat him out and he was a shell of himself at that point you know yes yeah no this um bledsoe definitely has the numbers to back it up we remember yeah. what he was coming out this guy threw for 4,500 yards one year. He threw for 4,000 yards four times in his career. He threw 251 touchdowns. Now, yeah, he piled up some picks along the way, but uh, one of the one of the top pure passers um, that this game has known and, again, was good enough to get his team to a Super Bowl. He just lost to uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback and, 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 and the Green Bay Packers. Yes. Okay, hit me with your next one. Number, Number seven is a guy that you might like. Um, I hope he made your list, but me, you might you might have homer traded him for for the other guy, um, Carson Palmer. Oh man, this is getting scary. That's yeah, that is I, my number seven. Yeah, I'm throwing Carson Palmer in there at number seven. Another guy who threw for a mile. Um, you know what? When you play for the Cincinnati Bengals, it's tough to get credit. So kudos to Joe Burrow. Um, well, wait, and no offense to your son's teams, but then he played for the, the Cardinals who weren't exactly a juggernaut at the time. Right. And he, exactly. and he played for the Raiders. But it's kind of the stuff that happens to you when you just w- would try and like all hell to get the hell out of Cincinnati. Yeah. Sometimes you get out of jail and you go to the halfway house. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But Carson Palmer, you know, definitely that guy. Another guy that, like I said, threw for a bunch of yards, 4,000, 46,000, threw for 294 touchdowns against only 187. 
interceptions. Another listen, one of the prettiest passes. Oh, there wasn't many guys in the history of the NFL that threw that you could say threw a better looking deep ball than Carson Palmer. Yeah. um, If I was coaching quarterbacks, I would. This is the motion that I would have them look at. Um, And Carson threw for over 4000 yards, I believe five or six, seven, 46,000 yards passing. You know what I like to think about with him? Let me ask you this, you know, when we're on him, what would his career have been if he didn't have that injury in the playoffs? I think that really set him back a few years when he tore that ACL in in the Steelers playoff game that hit on his knee. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, What would his career have been if he played for the Steelers? How about that one? You know what I mean? Right, right. So yeah. The Bengals um, were trending in the right direction. People forget when he was there, they they were having a Joe Burrow like run sort of. It was going in that direction, and indeed he they that, were. Yeah, yeah, indeed they were. So Carson Palmer, number seven. Okay, so he's my number seven. So you and I already have two guys in the same spot, and now my number six is the third guy on the list that we agree on. I have him higher than you did. I have Donovan McNabb at six. Okay, how about? Um, that? I watched a lot of Cowboys Eagles games. Oh, yeah. So this guy was a pain in the ass if you were rooting against him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still remember that scramble he made on Monday Night Football. Uh, I think I almost broke a TV that night Uh running around for about 10 seconds and then launched what I believe was either a a, a 50-yard completion or a touchdown pass, I think. Mm -hmm. He was 98-62 and as a starter. He got his team to a Super Bowl, uh, you know, lost by only three points. It was not like they got embarrassed. He was in several NFC championship games. I mean, just a really, really good player, underappreciated in the city of Philadelphia because they wanted the ultimate prize, and he just didn't get the ultimate prize, but he was great. So that is my number six. Yeah, and I did want to throw in all of those NFC championship game um, appearances, you know, so, um, yeah, I'm down. I'm down with that. Okay, hit me with your number six. Obviously not as high as I had them, but close enough. All right, uh, am I up? Yes, you I'm got six it. and five right now. I'm going to yes. get six and five. Uh, number six is a guy you had on your list that I have higher, and that's Steve McNair. Uh, another guy who made it to a Super Bowl. Um, Steve McNair was um, an outstanding combination of 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 pure passing and being able to run. It was just amazing how he was able to put those two things together. Um, and tough. Yes, that too. Playing with ribs broken and everything else, um, and this and this coming from coming from an HBCU and being able to rise to that level was just um, really really outstanding. You got Tennessee uh, Titans to man inches, literally inches away from getting the ultimate prize, which that franchise has never won a Super Bowl. That's as close as they've ever gotten, and uh, he was just outstanding for them. Um, Another guy that piled up yards and stats, both on the ground and passing. But yeah, I I cannot say enough about how much of a pure passer he looked like when he stood in the pocket to throw, and then yes. how much of a runner he looked like when he made the decision to run. It's like, so wait, this is the accountant in me. We're at the halfway point. You realize we have four of the five exactly the same. Mm. We flip flop McNair and McNabb. Mm. The only difference is I included Romo and you included Bledsoe. Okay. Right. Go ahead. Hit me with your number five. Uh, number five for me is Philip Rivers. Mm. Believe it or not, Philip Rivers. Um, it's hard to as annoying as Philip Rivers may be if you were not a Chargers fan or you know a Colts fan for a year. Um, Philip Rivers threw for sixty three thousand four hundred and forty yards in this league. 
mm-hmm. uh, won a lot of football games for a franchise. For anyone who knows what that front office had been like, here's how bad it was. What did Eli Manning do when he came out? Not playing for the Chargers. So, um, you know, this is what he was able to do with that franchise and have him constantly in the hunt. Um, I can't say enough for that. And again, 63,440 yards. I think that puts him, where does that put him on the all-time list? Well, I think he's uh, I in the top 10. Oh, he's got to be, right. Yeah, he's, he's, at, he's at number six all-time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the fact that he never got to a Super Bowl um, kind of pulled a little weight off of him for me. But this guy is a Hall of Famer. Uh, perennial. I, you know, I've talked about how many times other guys threw for 4,000 yards. This was every year for Phillip. Uh, I don't think he, since 2000, I think he threw for 4,000 plus yards every year he played since 2008. With the weirdest throwing motion I've ever seen in my the life. Weir- Look, Other than Bernie, Bernie Kozar. Next to Bernie Kozar. <laughs> yes. It's like, were you really left-handed and you threw right-handed? Or <laughs> did you, did, were you three years old learning how to throw a professional football and you just developed this quirky motion to get it going? Um, it was always I irritating. watch him throw and I wonder if he went to like a throwing camp when he was young with Bernie. Because I mean, Something. It's, yeah, yeah he goofy. imitated the weirdest thing. I just didn't know how he got it done. But 421 career touchdowns versus 209 interceptions, twice as many touchdowns as interceptions. Okay. So, yeah, as annoying as so he you is. You got him at five. You okay, give let, him five. Let me hit you with my five and four, and then you're going to see the irony in all this. Number five, this guy literally, I say, sort of invented the passing game that we see today. Maybe not today, maybe more so the passing game of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Uh, down the field, okay, Dan Felt, okay, mm. University of Oregon star in the 70s, Air Coryell, the Chargers of the of the 70s and 80s. Uh, this guy could light it up. Am I am I lying about that? Oh, absolutely, full, full truth, 100. Forty three thousand yards passing. Remember though, that's in an era where guys did not throw right for the yards they do today. So I mean, this guy threw the ball downfield. Uh, Johnny Jefferson, I believe was one of his guys. And I'm trying to think of the other guy. Uh, you had Wes the, Chandler. Wes Chandler and Johnny Jefferson. Charlie Joyner. Charlie Joyner. Kellen Winslow, the, the senior. Yeah. Um, uh, they Chuck Muncie played there for a while. They had all, as running backs, they threw the ball to guys out of the backfield, which wasn't quite, uh, you know, as in vogue back then, but yes. they did it. Uh, so he was number five for me. Here's the irony, okay? I got another charger above him, Philip Rivers, the gear yeah. guy. Okay. <laughs> What does that tell you about the Chargers, man? Man, who would think two Chargers would be on this list? But everything you said about Rivers and throw in that he's 132 and 106 as an NFL starter, which in that league, that's really good. The NFL is a league built to be 500. And uh, he he won a lot of football games. So to me, Phillip Rivers is very high, as you can tell, number four on my list. Not high, um, like literally, but yes, I understand. All right. <laughs> uh, number four for me is Jim Kelly. Uh, Jim Kelly took the Buffalo Bills to the Super Bowl four times in a row. Let's just start there. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to get it done any any one of those times. They ran into buzzsaws, really. I mean, they ran into a, a couple of dynasties and um, one really, really good New York Giants football team. And, but if their kicker could you know, make a kick, then right. 
Who knows? But nevertheless, they ran into the Cowboys dynasty. They ran into the Redskins team that was really, really good. How about the NFC East back then? It was oh. Giants, it was Cowboys, it was Redskins, and they were just and the, and the Eagles were tough. Don't forget, they had Reggie White back then, and the yes. Eagles, you know, Jerome. Yeah, they, Brown. they ran into the NFC East era, which is not which is so far from what the current NFC East is. Right. Nevertheless, no, I mean, you know, I noticed, you know, something else too. You and you and I each got a Homer college pick on our list. You know, I got Carson Palmer. You got Jim Kelly. I got to tell you though, when I think of Jim Kelly, I rarely ever think about him as a Miami Hurricane. I've got to tell you that it's really all bills for me. Um, and I, wait, it, I'm going to tell you something now, not to tell you about your own school that you played for, but I'm a little older than you by four years, I believe, hmm. and, and that makes a difference when you're 11. I was 11. You were a little kid still coming over from Trinidad. <laughs> Jim Kelly really is the guy that got Miami going. Yes. Um, they pulled the major upsets and beat some big boys. They beat him. Penn State. I still remember a game in the rain. Because remember, I live in Penn State country. My dad, God rest his soul, was a, a huge Penn State fan. It's the only team other than our high school that we we both went to mm. that he cared about. Okay. Mm. And uh I still remember being 10, 11 years old and Kelly engineering an upset of Penn State. And that really, he was a big quarterback from Pennsylvania, Kelly was. And the story goes. So, that, so big that they thought he should be a linebacker. Correct. Well, Joe Paterno recruited him and said, well, we want to play at linebacker. He said, no, thank you. I like palm trees. I'll go down there. That's fine. Damn it, and Joe. Adjust those glasses for Carl. Adjust those glasses. So Kelly, Kelly. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, that probably was, got some recruits to come there. You know what sure. I mean? Uh, it was one of those statement wins. So, yeah. Jim Kelly, um, stats-wise, maybe doesn't measure up to some other guys here, but that offense that they had, the whole K-Gun offense, and what they were able to do in that four-year, five-year stretch that they were on is one of the best um, that's ever happened in this game. It's just they could never finish it off, and that's unfortunate for them. But but Jim Kelly, number four on my list. Number three is Dan Fouts. And, yeah, when you said the number 40. 3,000 yards, I think, career passing. Yeah. Sounds low. But as Amos said, it was in a time when the running backs were what it was all about. You just turn around and hand the ball to your running back. And um, if he didn't, if you ended up with third and eight or nine or 10, then you threw the ball. Or you, if your running back was killing it a little bit, maybe you stuck the ball yeah, into his and, belly, and brought listen, it out. Don't forget, he played late mid to mid 70s into mid 80s, right? So Dan Marino was the first guy to throw for 5,000 yards in a season. So it, today, that's not a big deal. So what I'm trying to give you context for is if you were throwing for 3,500, 4,000 yards back then in the season, that was huge. There was a 14-game season in the late 70s. They expanded to 16 games. So, I mean, his numbers were, were, were really, really astronomical for that era. Yes, there was a three-year stretch where he threw for over 4,000 yards. One, you know, we had back-to-back years, 4,700 and 4,800, which is ridiculous um, to do. That's like a um, 6,000-yard season right now. Younger fans can't even understand because they haven't watched. They have to really try to educate themselves and watch some games on film, like old games. It was just so much harder to pass the ball, the rules, everything. It was just harder to pass the ball. Yeah. Mind you, they couldn't play a lick of defense. Um, no. but good God, were they <laughs> were they fun to watch from the colorful uniforms to them tossing the ball all over the yard? They were a must-watch um for anyone, East Coast, West Coast, and and Dan Fouts really uh was able to get that done. The one year when they were really, really great, Amol, you you know, I'm, I know you remember this. They had the misfortune of having to go play an AFC championship game in one of the coldest games ever played in Cincinnati. 
And I think I always think that if they would have been able to get that game at home, they would have they would have at least gotten to the Super Bowl. And in well, yeah, they had two epic fails in 1980. They they had won the AFC West in a tiebreaker against the Raiders. They had the same record. And then they ended up meeting the Raiders in the AFC championship game. And I still remember it was a really good game. It was like it ended 34, 27, 35, 28. It was a one score game. Mm -hmm. The Raiders won. The Raiders won and won the Super Bowl and beat the Eagles. Then the next year that you're speaking of, they got back to the AFC championship game. And they had to go to Cincinnati. It was literally I think, minus 10, eighty degrees. Yeah, it was it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, no, it was really like the ice bowl. I mean, yeah, really no, it was it it bad. really was that. You know, not to mention the playoff game that they had uh, against the Dolphins. Oh, I think they ended they, up winning. That was in eighty two. I yeah, believe so that they, was, that was a nice stretch for them. And Dan Fouts was you know front and center yeah. on that. So that's what oh, okay, I'm that's good. Uh, I have them. You have them. number three for me. I'm up to three. Is one Warren Moon. Gotcha. Okay. This guy, you want to talk about throwing a beautiful ball? He's right there with Carson Palmer. Do you remember Warren Moon's? Of course. Yes. What a beautiful deep ball this guy threw. Just spiral, beautiful. Played at the University of Washington. Uh, this is in an era, for again, for some of the younger fans, where really it was hard to get a starting job as a black quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he, was, he was in the 70s, come out of Washington. And there was just this stigma. I know it might be hard for younger people to understand because you're like, what? That's the way it worked back then. There, it was a little bit of a stigma. I mean, I'm not saying there were no black quarterbacks, but it wasn't like, hey, just the guy can play, he can play. Uh, he went to Canada, honed his craft, came back. He threw for 49,000 yards and 291 touchdowns. Again, in an era where it wasn't quite as easy to throw the football. Threw a beautiful ball. Uh, never won a Super Bowl, but my God, could this guy play the position? Yeah, um, 100% on that. So, um, and then my number two, I share with you, I, a guy on you had on your list is uh, Jim Kelly. Uh, to me, uh, the, you know, he 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 cut his career a little short because he played in the USFL before he went to the NFL, so he didn't get quite as many years, which kept the yards down. He still threw for 35,000 yards, uh, different year again, 101 wins. 59 losses. Okay. That's, that's quite, that's means you're average. Yeah, they were dominating back yeah, then. Yeah. Your average season is 10 and six. That's really good in the NFL. Okay. If that's your average, you're really good. Got to four Super Bowls, ran into the NFC's dynasties, as you uh, so eloquently pointed out. So, yeah, Jim Kelly's number two for me. All right. Um, so, listen, I'm, I'm going to go with what am I, what am I dropping for you? What do you mean? What are you dropping? Just number two and one, or what, what are we doing? Are you up to two and one? I think I am. Hit me with your two and one then, and I'll give you my one. All right, number two for me, Warren Moon. Okay. Um, yes, I absolutely do remember Warren Moon and the whole run and shoot offense that uh, was put together for the Houston Oilers back then. They were, they were the Houston Oilers. Um, and just what they were able to do. And listen, we talk about Jim Kelly and we talk about Warren Moon. We all remember that playoff game where the Oilers had a 35-2-3 lead. This is a game that you're supposed to win. Yeah, I, it's a playoff game. You got to. You know down what? 30. I will say this. I mean, we'll never know, but I think had they won that game, they would have went to the Super Bowl. I, I think Dallas would have killed them anyway, but I think they would have went to the Super Bowl. I firmly believe um, that would have happened and would have been interesting to see Houston versus Dallas in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but we weren't. We're not treated to that because somehow a 35 to three. Lee turned into a 38. Was it a 38, 35 loss? Is that what happened? Uh, 41, 38, I believe. Yeah. It ended they up managed. 41, 38. Yeah. Yes. They went the Jim Kelly and the K gun went on a serious run. Now, mind you, the game was in Buffalo, but 
Um, never I saw do, anything like that in my life. I do remember watching the game, seeing it get out of hand, and then leaving and going to a store because hey, this is out of hand. I'll you know I'll catch the next game. Coming back and realizing what the hell, um, and then all the gaps had to get filled in. And, and then another story having to do with that game: there were a bunch of fans that walked out of Rich Stadium in Buffalo. Oh, they went home. No, that in a parking lot started hearing stuff going on, and you know, we're no, I mean, they were leaving, in. and they they realized stuff was going on. I'm saying, yeah, and then you yeah. got yeah, yellow jacket event staff guy, event staff guy saying no reentry. I'll yeah. listen, man. I'll end your life right here. <laughs> I'm going back in. No, you better get me back in here. But on Warren Moon, I want to say, Emil, um, you mentioned how he had to go to Canada because he wouldn't get a fair shot um, in the NFL. I want to say he's thrown for more yards as a professional football player than anyone else in the game. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, but we all- have to look it up at because those numbers are falling quickly now. But yeah, he threw for a ton of yards in Canada, too. Yes. Um, all, all told, um, he, he might be it. well over 70,000. He was over 70,000. And so, you know, uh, the yeah. one Tom Brady's up over 80. Don't say, I mean, I have a feeling we both have the same number one. Oh, the, there is, there is, listen, everyone had the same number one. That's why when they heard this, you know, title for this list, they're like, okay, all right, we know who number one is. Let's just figure out who two through 10 is. So you and I could mm-hmm. both come to the conclusion that it's one Dan Marino. Yes. Um, and yes, he threw for a country mile. You know, he stopped playing what is it, 23 years ago, and he's still in the top 10 list. Even in this era where it's so easy to pile up yards. Um, 147 wins, 93 losses as a starting quarterback. Um, 61,000 yards, 420 touchdowns. Uh, you know, I want to say something, and I wanted to ask you about Marino in this, in this sense. I feel ironically the one thing that might have kept him from ever winning a Super Bowl was the fact of that 1984 season where he got to the Super Bowl? Um, I always felt like Marino was all about all about throwing the ball around. That's what I mean. I th- if you if yeah. you remember, dial back in your memory bank. You were what about 11 or 12? So you're old enough to easily remember oh, the I, entire I, 19. I saw all of it. Right. He threw for over 5,000 yards. They had Duper and Clayton. I think he threw, what, 48 or 50 touchdown passes. Now, this was in an era. Now, that would be a great season even today, but this was in an era. It was unheard of, okay? These were like pinball games when you would watch Dolphin games, okay? And they went to the Super Bowl that year. They finished 14-2. and They won their two playoff games. They were 16-2. and They had the misfortune of running into probably the second best team all time behind the 85 Bears, a team people forget the 1984 49ers finished the season 18 and one after they won the Super Bowl. And okay. would you say, Amol, perhaps the second best dynasty that this sport has produced? Probably. I mean, would you put the 49ers dynasty over the Cowboys dynasty? It was tight. I mean, the, the only reason I'd say probably yes, because it went throughout the 80s and even wrapped around into the early 90s a little bit. So I'd say, you know, they got there in 81 and won it. Then in 84, they won it. Then they, you know, they ran into that where the Giants Redskins were really good, too. But then in 88 and 89, they won it. Mm. And they got buzzed by the Cowboys a couple of times in the early 90s. But then finally, they got over the hump there and won it in 94. So you almost had a period of like 13 or 14 years where they were in the mix. Sure. And that was where they won all five of their Super Bowls in that span. 
Sure. So yeah, I mean, I probably put that. Yeah. I mean, if we could talk about that 1984 season where he threw for 5,084 yards, only two other players eclipsed the 4,000 yard mark that year. Um, So what's even crazier is that he threw 48 touchdowns that season. The next closest guy had 32. Oh, it it was, I mean, that's outrageous. That just goes to show you, but like if you threw for 30 touchdowns or more back then, you had a hell of a season. If you threw for 3,000 plus yards, you had a really, really great year. This man threw for 5,084 yards and 48 touchdowns. It was literally ridiculous watching. And what, to your point, though, I and, and like what you were saying about him wanting to throw the ball, I think that's what I was trying to say. I think he spent the rest of his career, okay, uh, chasing that year. And, and I'll give you an example. You're a baseball guy, right? Hmm. If everybody knows you're a Yankee fan, I'm a Dodger fan. Cody Bellinger won the MVP in 2019. He hasn't been the same player since. I feel like he's chasing a year he's never going to duplicate. And in chasing that year, he's not being a, 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 the player he could be because he's trying to chase something that happens once in, in your lifetime, unless you're Mike Trout. I feel like Marino spent his whole career wanting to make every year 1984. Yes, and feeling like that would they were going to be able to win a Super Bowl doing that. And so, you know, after a while, it just became this mission um, and this consistent way of trying to placate him, whether that's adding a receiver or, you know, maybe we not run the ball as much, or maybe we don't do as much on defense because we need to. Yeah. And you know, you've watched their games, you've watched their games being down there. They'd run the ball 12 times in a game. And, you know, you, when you just do that over the course of a long season, you know, you force your defense to play more plays. It's just the whole thing is is just a snowball effect. And I feel like they put up a lot of good records because they had a guy like him where you could. Thank mask God, all. they were entertaining. though. They were entertaining. And yeah. he would mask a lot of the deficiencies throughout the regular season. But then you'd run into a, a complete football team in the playoffs. And yeah, and you were home. pretty much one. Yeah, you're pretty much one dimensional. And so that kind of undid it. I don't think we would. um I, I, I don't think we'd be doing this list well if we didn't at least give two or three guys that didn't make this list that uh, we may have felt bad about. I've, I've got one for sure. Well, the only guy, by the way, for folks out there who didn't keep score, Chad and I agreed on nine of these, and I swear to God, <laughs> we, we don't talk about this at all before we do it. Uh, the only one, he had Bledsoe on his list. I had Romo. That's the only difference as far as the the, the composition of the list. We had different order, but same composition. Uh I left Bernie Kosar off the list. Great mm-hmm. career. Couple fails in AFC championship games as Browns fans will never forget. Yeah, Kosar's one of my three that I was like, ah. I, I think you could make a case for Kosar. I think you could make a case for an older guy that fans won't remember. He was a former Cowboy quarterback that got replaced by Roger Staubach. But Craig Morton took the Cowboys to a Super Bowl. Mm in 1970 and then he took the broncos to a super bowl you're gonna have to go deep into wikipedia for that what well he took the broncos to the super bowl in 77 losing ironically to the cowboys i mean he had a really good career different era again now i keep saying that because fans are gonna go people who love the game might say let me look what this guy's talking about say like through 18 or 2200 yards that year different era yeah no no question um for me yes kozar um I'm a bit of a, you know, a homer. So a Jim Everett who threw for a whole bunch of yards, never could quite get over the hump. They had a couple of good years there. But the one that really, really was really, really tough for me was Michael Vick. Um, 
one of the most unique quarterback I think we've probably ever had in this league. And, um, you know, I thought he was just as a pure talent, as great as anyone who's played at the position um, between the running and passing and the pure ability. Oh, probably probably one of the two or three greatest athletes to ever play the position. At any position. At I any mean, position. yeah, he was a running back that could throw the ball 75 yards in the air. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the fact that he never even got to a Super I would have loved to have seen Mike Vick in a Super Bowl. But um, Mike Vick, the runner, we've never seen. And still, even with Lamar Jackson, have never seen in this league. No. And then the arm talent. And a lefty at that. Um, Lamar Jackson hard. doesn't have the arm talent that Michael Vick had. Yeah. Um, so it was it was hard for me. I was kind of fiddling between him and McNabb, but I couldn't do it. Like McNabb, McNabb had accomplished no. more in this league. People do forget Vic went to Lambeau as a very young player and led a playoff upset of the Packers. Yes, uh, people should should know that. And it was stunning when it happened, but he did he did indeed do that. Well, so. that's our list, man. We laid another good list out there. I hope uh I hope the audience enjoyed it. It's the summertime. You gotta have some fun with these things, but we'll be getting into some hardcore uh Soon enough, we'll be making these camps our are opening in two weeks. Yeah. Um, there and there's some storylines, especially one in Carolina, that we're gonna have to follow. But that's our list and that's our show. And we appreciate you guys staying on here with us. Um, if you want to contact the show, go ahead and feel free to send an email to cwilson at gridironstuds.com. When you see the post on Facebook, drop a comment. We'd appreciate that. If you're on the anchor app, feel free to leave a voice message. Um, it's a great feature that Anchor has. So go ahead and do that. And we'd um, would play that on the show. So um, you can go ahead and do that. Many ways to get in touch with us. And again, you have our social media handles and outlets to jump into. All right. So I appreciate you guys being in with us. So for Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll see you guys next week.